0: Well, good evening ladies. I have a cute picture for you because we always need to start off with cute things. This is Teddy. Oh, thank you. You had the right response. My sweet husband got him for me this summer and he is a -a cockapoo puppy and he excels at all things cute, looking cute, giving cuddles, giving kisses, and he fulfills his life purpose as a lapdog and a companion. All the things I was looking for in a puppy. And because he is so cute, he thinks he can get away with a few things while we're at work. And I'm seeing some nods from other dog lovers. Things like chewing a hole in our sofa, gnawing on the legs of our coffee table, destroying the blinds shredding the baseboards, and then coming home and finding his dog bed fluff everywhere. Now, when we come home, there are two very different responses to said cute, destructive dog. I love Teddy, and so when I walk in, I go, well, you know, he's a puppy, he chews on things, he's going to grow out of it. Now, do you think that's Jason's response? (laughs) It's not. Jason says things like, he's a pain. He costs more than he's worth. Wait, are you looking for a puppy? I will pay you to take this dog. And then I gently remind him you can't take back a gift. So some of you probably relate to Jason's perspective. Some of you probably relate to my perspective. And if you would like to keep your women's pastor happy, you should relate to mine. So I feel good about this. But seriously, when you're faced with an adorable face like this, who is also destructive, what do you do? Do you give up and walk away, or do you decide to be patient and persevere, knowing that one day he's going to grow out of the chewing phase, or so I hope. Okay, some of us are saying yes, so we'll see how that goes. So I know it's a silly example, but at some point or another, we all find ourselves in circumstances that are so challenging that we're tempted to give up. We're tempted to throw in the towel, walk away, and call it quits. There are circumstances in our lives when, that just require too much of us. Things we don't have to give anymore. Circumstances that exhaust us, that overwhelm us. And no, I'm not talking about puppies anymore. I'm talking about very real life challenges that shake us to the core of who we are. And some of you are there today. For some of you, it's a husband who has been repeatedly unfaithful. Or maybe it's an unsuspecting cancer diagnosis. For others of you, you're walking with a child through addiction. Or maybe daily when you go to your workplace, you face sexism and discrimination. For others of you, you're realizing this is going to be a hard holiday season for your family because you were just let go from your job and there are going to be less presents around the tree or maybe those dreams of reconciling with your father are dashed because he just passed away. Life is hard and there is suffering. And we know that some of us have just walked through those challenging seasons. Some of us see that on the horizon coming and some of us are there right now today. And it's a hard place to be always asking, do I give up or do I, do I lean in or do I walk away? Do I give up or do I try to persevere? God, where are you in this? Will you carry me through this? Will you? You see, today's passage has great personal significance for me because I am in a challenging season. Many of you know that 2018 was a really hard year for Jason and I. And in that period of intense grief, God spoke one word to me. Abide. Remain in me, Tiffany. Don't give up and don't walk away. Tiffany, I am with you in this. I will carry you. And because God didn't give me any other instructions, I held on to that word, abide. I hoped that if somehow I could just hold on, he would bring me through that pain and that grief to whatever is on the other side of abide. Abide. And friends, the truth is I don't have it all figured out. I'm by no means an expert on not giving up. I'm simply a fellow traveler just like you who is learning what it means to do the daily hard work of abiding in God. And so today I simply want to share with you what the Lord is teaching me and what I believe James wants you to know too. Don't give up, stand firm, and press on in your faith. Don't give up. Stand firm and press on in your faith. So please open your Bible and let's look at the passage together in chapter 5, verse 7. Be patient then, brothers and sisters, until the Lord's coming. See how the farmer waits for the land to yield its valuable crop, patiently waiting for the autumn and the spring's rains. You too, be patient and stand firm because the Lord's coming is near. Above all else, brothers and sisters, do not swear, not by heaven or by earth or by anything else. All you need is a simple yes or no, otherwise you will be condemned. So James gives his audience a lot of commands to live by. It's kind of overwhelming, to be honest. And as Sissy mentioned last week, the context in which we find this passage is that the rich were oppressing the poor, That's why verse seven begins with the word, then he's continuing what he's been saying. And so it's into this context that James says to his believers, don't respond with revenge. Don't take violence out against your rich oppressors. Don't grumble against one another and don't lie to fend off your creditors. What does he say? Instead, he begins with the command to be patient, be patient. He repeats himself in verse eight and he adds to be patient, stand firm. The message translation adds, stay stay steady and strong. And the CSB translation says, strengthen your heart. That's a lot of explanation for one simple command. But I think that James knows that we need this because I don't know about you, but in trying times, my natural tendency is not to wait I don't like waiting. I want instant fixes, immediate solutions, and quick wins. And I think when faced with an obstacle, many of us usually respond one of three ways. See if any of these sound familiar to you. The first is that perhaps you might ignore the situation or deny reality. No, 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 no. Thank you for your offer of help, but I'm okay. I promise it's only a broken leg. I'll just hop my way up and down the three flights of stairs to my apartment. Okay, no, no, that's not going to work. Or maybe your go-to attempt is trying to control the situation. This is where you try to just pull yourself up by the bootstraps, muster up the courage and you're just going to power through. You are going to make it happen. And it might sound something like this. I'm not going to let a breast cancer diagnosis slow me down. I'll just work harder. I'll get up at 4 a.m., I'll take my laptop to the doctor's office and work while I wait on my radiation treatments. Then I'll order Amazon fresh in the carpool line, take the Skype conference call while um, making dinner, tuck the kids in bed, do it all again. See, we got it, good. No, that probably won't work. Then another way is perhaps you just give up in the situation. Perhaps the obstacle seems so overwhelming that you're powerless to affect the desired change. And it might sound something like this. Yeah, I mean, yeah, I was passed over for the job promotion again, but you know, I probably deserved it. No one notices me anyway. I don't think my boss appreciates me. It's it's not worth trying. It's just a paycheck. I'll just phone it in. But James offers us a fourth way, a God-centered way. He says, when faced with challenging circumstances, we are to respond with patience and perseverance. In other words, don't give up, stand firm, press on in your faith. But that's easier said than done, right? I don't know about you, but I need some concrete examples of what this actually looks like. And so James gives us three illustrations. He gives us the farmer, the prophets of old, and Job. In verses 7 through 8, we see that the farmer actively plows her field. She prepares the soil. She plants the seeds. She weeds out the bad things. She tends the plants. And then she waits. She waits for the rain to come that will bring her harvest. Nothing she does or doesn't do will hasten the coming of the rains. Ultimately, the harvest is out of her control. Because as Sissy said last week, control is an illusion. We are not in control. God is. Now look with me at verses 10 and 11. Here James offers the prophets as an example of perseverance. The message reads, take the old prophets as your mentors. They put up with anything. They went through everything and they never once quit. All the time honoring God. What a gift life is to those who stay the course. So let's just think through some of these prophets, if you will. Take Isaiah. Isaiah was called to warn Israel of the punishment coming if they didn't repent. And his warnings were so severe, so harsh, that he was called the prophet of doom and gloom. How's that for a Twitter handle? Here comes the prophet of doom and gloom. For three years, Isaiah was called to preach naked and barefoot. And tradition says that he died by being sawn in two. And yet, Isaiah never gave up. Or take Jeremiah. Jeremiah was also called to prophesy and to warn Israel of the coming judgment if they didn't repent. He preached for decades. Imagine a 30 or 40 year ministry and not one single person repented or turned to the Lord. Can you imagine the sense of failure you would feel? In addition to that, his friends and family betrayed and left him. He received assassination attempts, death plots. He was abandoned. He was persecuted. He was thrown in a well and he was left for dead. And yet, Jeremiah stood firm. And then we have Job. Job, the man who lost his children, his livelihood, his possessions, his livestock, and his good name in the community. He lost everything except his very life and his wife. And if you've read the story, you know that his wife often said, just curse God and die. Just be done with it. Curse God and die. And yet, Job never once cursed God. He refused to give up to curse God and die. Job pressed on in his faith. See, all of these men went through exceptionally challenging circumstances. Circumstances that I think if any of us were put in, we would be very easily tempted to give up and to walk away and yet they did not. They stood firm and they pressed on in their faith. Why? Because they knew the character of God. So imagine with me, if you will, you're walking into a new room, you're walking into an event. What is one of the first things you do when you enter in a new place? And no, I don't mean scanning to see if you're the best dressed. Because it's your dream, so you are. You're welcome. <laughs> So you're the best dressed, you walk in, but one of the first things you do is you usually put on a name tag. And it usually says something like, Hello, my name is... And then you write your name. You write Ashley, or Pritha, or Catherine, or Kashana. You are unique, and you want your name to be known, to be representative of who you are to everyone else in the room. Now, if you were to fill out a name tag for God, what would you write? Under, Hello, my name is... What would you write? I mean, there's hundreds of things. You could write father, judge, creator, provider, love, truth, Jesus. There is so much. But how does God introduce himself? In a private conversation with, God, uh, with Moses, God introduces himself. So look with me at Exodus 34, starting in verse 5. Then the Lord came down in the cloud and stood there. With him, and he proclaimed his name, the Lord. And he passed in front of Moses, proclaiming, The Lord, the Lord, the compassionate and gracious God, slow to anger, abounding in love and faithfulness, maintaining love to thousands, and forgiving wickedness, rebellion, and sin. Friends, this is how God personally defines himself. This is how he introduces himself to Moses and how he introduces himself to us. He is a compassionate God, a gracious God, a merciful God who abounds in love and faithfulness. And it's no surprise that David, the shepherd king who intimately knew God, described God in these terms. But you, Lord, are a compassionate and gracious God, slow to anger, abounding in love and faithfulness. Now look with me at verse 11. How does James, the half-brother of Jesus, describe God? The Lord is full of compassion and mercy. The Lord is full of compassion and mercy. I hope you're seeing this thread throughout. Our God is a compassionate and merciful God. And friends, I want you to not miss this truth. The prophets weren't blessed, as James says, because they didn't suffer. They did suffer. And in my mind, they suffered horrifically. And Job wasn't blessed because God restored his fortunes and his possessions at the end and blessed him with more children. These people were blessed because they got God himself. The gift, the blessing was that personal and intimate relationship with God. It was God who gave them the strength to refuse to give up. It was God who gave them the desire to stand firm and to press on in their faith. And it is God who gives us the strength and the desire to press on and stand firm in our faith. Sisters, the blessing is always God himself. So if you think back to the ways that we are tempted to respond in challenging circumstances, ignoring the situation, trying to control it or denying it. These solutions are ultimately unacceptable because they leave out the character of God. None of those take into account the character of God. James 5.11 reads, you've heard, of course, of Job's staying power, and you know how God brought it all together for him at the end. That's because God cares, cares right down to the last detail. So let's just pause right there. Let's let that sink in. God sees you. And not only does he see you, but he cares for you. He cares right down to that very last detail of the challenging circumstance that you are currently in. So do you believe that God is merciful and compassionate, not just to others, not just to the women at your table, but to you? Do you believe that God is for you? Do you believe that God has abounding love and faithfulness? For you, Do you believe that he can redeem your broken marriage, your unemployment, your cancer diagnosis, your grief, your loneliness, your depression? Do you believe that our God is a God of redemption? Friends, what you believe about God's character will greatly determine if you stand firm and press on in the faith when those challenging circumstances come. If you think back to the farmer... The farmer diligently and patiently prepares for the upcoming harvest. And so if she can be patient and stand firm and persevere without a guarantee of a harvest, how much more should we stand firm with a guarantee? Our guarantee is that Christ is returning. Our future is secure. Our foundation is firm. We are called to be a people of perseverance. And that should give us the hope needed not to give up. The hope needed to stand firm. The hope needed to press on and to keep going. And so the question today is, how are you and I doing at patiently waiting in those trying times? How are you and I doing at responding to God's invitation to let, us, to let him grow us in his likeness? As you know, we don't drift into holiness. I wish we did. I wish it was just kind of a lazy river and we just kind of floated along and we looked up and we're like, oh, look, I've, I've grown in holiness now. No, none of us believe that because it is not true. Life is not the lazy river. We grow into holiness. Just like every harvest, growth is a process. And we are currently in the process of growing in likeness. And if you think about it, that growth, it doesn't occur without resistance. You all are probably familiar with the old adage, don't pray for patience. And why do we not want to pray for patience? Well, yeah, you'll get it. You'll get a test. So one, patience requires challenging obstacles. And then two, it requires that you endure those obstacles. And quite frankly, that does not sound appealing to me. I see head shaking, so you're tracking with me. See, I am a person of action. I don't want to endure the obstacle. I don't want to sit with the obstacle and make friends with the obstacle. I want to overcome the obstacle. I want to conquer the obstacle. I want to obliterate it and leave it in the dust. Okay, God, if you're not going to take care of it, I will. Thank you. Because to endure, that's to trust that God is in control, to acknowledge that we are not, and to trust that God will redeem the situation for his glory and our good. And friends, sometimes... Frankly, it feels like God is moving too slowly. You see, Jason and I have been waiting for over a year to get pregnant. And in the midst of that deep grief and sorrow, I cry out to God with all that I am and I say, Lord, would you meet me in this place? And God is faithful to show me his mercy and his compassion but he has not promised to remove the obstacle. He has promised to be with me. He has promised that he will sustain me. And moment by moment, breath by breath, step by step, he gives me the strength to persevere. And I know that many of you are living that moment by moment, step by step. God, give me the strength to persevere. And I share this with you because I cannot stand on this stage and ask you to go anywhere that I too am not going. And I'm going with you, sisters. I am going with you after abiding in Christ. And it is hard. And so I share this not out of a desire for suggestions or advice, although I'm sure they'd be very well-meaning. Um <laughs> But I share this with you because I want to share with you the hope that I have received from the Lord. And it is this. The Lord is near. The Lord is near. Just like James's original audience, we all live between the two advents, the two arrivals of Jesus. Look again at James 5, verses 7 through 8. Meanwhile, friends, wait patiently for the master's arrival. You see farmers do it all the time, waiting for their valuable crops to mature, patiently letting the rain do its slow but sure work. Be patient like that. Stay steady and strong. The master could arrive at any time. And so we see that twice the return of Jesus is mentioned. And it's one of our primary motivations for not giving up, for standing firm, and for pressing on in our faith. And remember, James's first century readers were experiencing very real persecution. And so the nearness of the Lord's coming would have meant hope and light and life to them. For those who were hungry, it would have meant full stomachs. For those who were weary, it would have meant strength. And for those who lived with scarce resources, it would have meant abundance and flourishing. The Lord's coming would have meant justice, a righting of all wrongs, and the realization of better things to come. And on December 1st, we will enter into that Advent season where we celebrate the first coming of our Lord and we eagerly anticipate and look forward to his second coming. And part of the reason we so eagerly long, we look forward to, we desire his second coming is because things are not as they should be. But there is coming a day, there is coming a day when all wrongs will be righted, when everything that is broken will be made new, and where beauty will come from ashes. And I cannot wait for that day. So thank you. Yes, we're all there. We all feel it. So what do we do in this place of tension? in between the first and the second coming. What do we do when we get sucker punched by life and we just wanna quit and walk out and call it good? I have a few suggestions for you. The first is that we remember the death and resurrection of Jesus. Sisters, if our faith is not firmly hung on the death and resurrection of Jesus, your faith is meaningless. This is the central tenet of the gospel. I read somewhere that you can trust the man who died for you. When you're in a challenging circumstance and someone goes, I don't know. I didn't see God in that. Where is he? What is he doing for you? God has been bringing up this idea. You can trust the man who died for you. You see, Jesus is not far removed from sufferings. Quite the opposite. He left the glory of heaven and came down to earth and took on flesh to be like one of us fully God and fully man. And he lived a sinless life, and that is not because he was hidden away or cloistered away in an ivory tower. He faced every suffering and trial and persecution imaginable, and yet he still lived a sinless life. He died on the cross to take our penalty, to pay for the debt that sin causes And because he rose again, we know that death does not have the final say. Life has the final say. And every suffering, every challenge will be redeemed. Second, we pray. James goes on in verses 13 to 18 to discuss how prayer covers the scope of entire life. He writes Is anyone happy? Is anyone in trouble? Is anyone sick? then pray. And prayer is not something complicated. It doesn't have to be in the King James Version on your knees saying these and thous. It is simply a conversation with your attentive father who longs to hear from you. He longs to hear everything you have to say, every heartache, every praise, every moment of gratitude, every fear and frustration and question. And we know that as our attentive father, he doesn't just lean in and listen. He responds because he is a good and loving father. And because prayer is powerful and effective, we are called not just to pray for ourselves, but to others. And so maybe as I've been speaking, the Lord has brought to mind someone who is currently in a challenging circumstance. Would you commit to pray for him or her? And if you are that person in that challenging circumstance, do not leave this room tonight without asking someone to pray for you. Prayer is one of the ways that God helps us to persevere, and your perseverance might be in the form of someone at your table tonight. Third, we assess our hope to complaint ratio. This was convicting. So, we all know that in challenging times, our stress can come out sideways and it can be directed at the people around us. When we're stressed or challenged, we're more likely to complain, to grumble, to gossip, um, and even to lie to one another, all in a desperate attempt to gain control of what seems uncontrollable, to manage the chaos. And that's exactly the sort of behavior that James calls out in verses 9 and 12. He says, don't grumble against one another. Don't swear. Instead, speak truthfully. Let your yes be yes and your no be no. And so one way to assess how am I doing in this challenging time is to ask, am I complaining more or am I hoping more? Am I complaining more or am I hoping more? And this is just a simple exercise you can do each night at bed, um, as you draw near to bedtime. But if you find that you're complaining more, that's not a reason to beat yourself up. It's simply a prompting from the Holy Spirit to confess your sin, to ask for forgiveness and say, Lord, help me to remember that you alone are my source of hope. You don't give me hope. You are my hope. May my words and my speech bring glory to you. And then finally, we allow our community to support us. I don't know if you noticed, but in five short verses, the term brothers and sisters is mentioned four times. And that's not an accident, because part of not giving up, of standing firm and pressing on, is allowing the body of Christ to surround, to support, and to carry you. If the Christian life is not lived in isolation, why would we think we need to live the challenging times in isolation? I know when I'm not doing well, I want to isolate. I want to hide. I want to impress you. I want you to think that I have it together and that I'm strong. But the truth is I am needy and you are needy. We are all in need of a savior and we are all in need of the gifts that the body of Christ brings. By allowing someone else to serve you, you're allowing them to operate in their giftedness and to grow in Christ's likeness. And then finally, I have just one final thought that I want to leave with you. And for me, it was the most convicting part of this entire message preparation. If you think we're called to just be patient and stand firm during the trying times, take a look again at verse seven. For how long are we called to be patient? Until the Lord's coming. Friends, that is our entire lives. For our entire lives, we are called to be patient and persevere. It's not, well, I was patient and persevered the last trial, so I get a free pass for this one, I can just let it all go. Sisters, we don't get a free pass. Part of God's plans and purposes for us is growing in us patience and perseverance for his glory and honor. We are called to be patient and to persevere for our entire lives. And so now we've come full circle in the book of James. If you think back to that second week, Amy began by teaching us that genuine faith perseveres in trials. We read James 1 verse 2, which says, Consider it pure joy, my brothers and sisters, whenever you face trials of many kinds, because you know that the testing of your faith produces perseverance. Let perseverance finish its work so that you may be mature and complete, not lacking anything. And now we conclude with James's lifelong admonition. Don't give up. Stand firm and press on in your faith. Because the Lord is merciful and compassionate, you and I can face challenges with patience. And friends, the Lord is near, and one day he will be nearer still. That is the good news that we as the people of God proclaim.